Kent. Good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. Kids, you are uh, dismissed. There's some wonderful volunteers who have prepared a great teaching for you. It will be relevant to your age. If uh, you're new here, uh, we have some volunteers who teach through some material called Gospel Project and love to spend the next 30 minutes, 45 minutes or so with your kids. So they will be stepping out. And that one is particularly happy about it. <clears throat> now the rest of you can cry as you uh, stay in here with me. <clears throat> uh, we will be uh, this morning looking at a verse in the book of Proverbs. So if you would turn with me to Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs 14. Um, if, you do, if you do not have a Bible, there should be one in the seat in front of you. And we are on page 368, page 368. Uh, we have been journeying as a church through the book of Proverbs for several months now. And next week, you'll hear a little bit more about this in a few minutes, but next week we'll be starting a new series within the same book. And uh, Proverbs is an immensely practical book with much to say about the issues that we face in everyday life. So we thought today we would just simply continue on what we've been doing and look at a particular verse in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 14. By way of introduction, a couple of uh, comments. There have been more than 4 million refugees that have fled the horrid civil war in Syria over the last five years. 4 million. That's the greatest refugee crisis since World War II. The United States has the highest prison population in the entire world. And having an incarcerated parent doubles the chance that as a child, you'll be homeless. 0.1%. That's one-tenth of one percent, for those of you that are good at math like me. 0.1% of people in the United States own nearly as much wealth in the country as the bottom 90%. There are 415,000 children in the foster care system in the United States. A third of the nation's poor are children. Another third are adults that have jobs, full-time jobs. They simply don't have a job that's sufficient to meet even the most meager needs. But that's the whole nation. Let's pull it a little closer to home. Half of every children... Half of all children living in Arizona live in low-income homes. That means they're not sure where the next meal will come from. In Guadalupe, which is a mere five miles south of right here, only 54% of teens finish high school. And perhaps most graphic, here's a picture. This picture is of Ayan. Curdy. So as a three-year-old boy, Kurdish boy from Syria, a boat taking him to Turkey capsized, and he, along with his mother and brother, died, washed ashore. Only the father survived. Why in the world are we talking about this on Easter Sunday? Perhaps you've heard of a man named Jonathan Edwards. If not, you no doubt have heard of his most famous sermon. 
sinners in the hands of an angry God. Did you know he also said this? Where have we any command in the Bible laid down in stronger terms and in a more preemptory, urgent manner than the command of giving to the poor? I bet you haven't heard that one. He went on to say, It is the absolute and indispensable duty of the people of God to give bountifully and willingly for supplying the wants of the needy. Today is Easter Sunday, and I can think of no better message from the book of Proverbs than to talk about the Proverbs' emphasis on Christians caring for the needy, the poor. The call for justice resounds from this book. So let's continue that today. Let me give you three reasons why mercy and justice are appropriate topics for an Easter Sunday morning sermon. Or to put that perhaps more bluntly, there are poor, needy people. Why should we care? Why should you care? Why should we do anything about it? Well, three big reasons the book called The Bible gives us is the image of God, the character of God, and the grace of God. So if you would humor me for the next 30 minutes or so, I'd like to walk you through those three things. The image of God, the character of God, and the grace of God. Let's start with the image of God. Look at Proverbs 14, and we'll read verse 31. Proverbs 14, 31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Whoever slanders, scoffs at, denigrates the poor. We would expect the end of the proverb to say, insults him. Wouldn't that seem the more natural reading? Imagine, if you will, with me that you've hit an emergency, unexpected medical crisis. And it's a significant one. One that you're not going to get better from. So slowly, you lose not only your health, but you lose your job. And then because you've lost your job, you lose your health insurance. Because you've lost your job and your health insurance, eventually you lose every penny you have. This is not only possible, but for some of us, it will be the outcome of our lives. Invariably, if that happens, what's going to follow? Well, if you live in an apartment, you're going to have a day come where there's a pounding on the door. And on the other side of that door, you might hear a landlord saying something like this. You've got to be out today, you worthless, lazy scum. Get out. Now that's an insult to the person, right? Isn't it? A person didn't choose this path. It's come upon them. But that's not the focus of this proverb. Look at it again. It says, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. What is that? How does insulting someone who's not well off, who's hit a hard place in life, who's had an unexpected medical crisis, 
How is that an insult to God? Well, friends, the Scriptures teach us that every human being is made in the image of God. The most basic principle humanity needs is on the opening page of the Bible. It says this in Genesis 1.27, So God created man, meaning mankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Friends, oppression, a lack of mercy on those without, is an offense to God. Because before God, all people are equal. Regardless of what we have, before him, we're all the same. This makes all people valuable as image bearers. So today, part of the great news we have to announce on Easter Sunday is that whether you're poor or wealthy, skinny or big-boned, a dropout or a PhD, married or single, barren or more children than you planned on, sick or healthy, you are valuable because you bear the imprint of the infinite God. What would Tempe be like if we just bought into that one principle from the Scriptures? Just from the first page. Why should we care about the poor, the needy, those without justice? Because all people are image bearers of God. Proverbs goes on to say in the last chapter, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Perhaps if you've read the book of Proverbs, you know Proverbs 31 as this impossible list for women. But did you know the first third of the chapter is a mother talking to her son? The son has just become king. And she says to her son, son, you are now a man in power. Use your power to help the powerless. That's a wise mom. She says, son, power is not about individual authority and gain. It's about stewardship of those who are under you. Use your influence for good. Speak for those who have no voice. Care for the destitute. Defend the basic rights of those who are powerless. That's why you are king. That's what kings are for to execute power for those who have none. All of us should heed her counsel. In whatever spheres we find ourselves, with whatever influence God happens to give us, we're to use that influence to help the needy. Now, frankly, we don't have to look far for even religious examples who have failed this. Did you see the movie that won the Oscar for Best Picture a few weeks ago? It's a true story about a Boston newspaper investigative team that uncovered the systemic abuse of boys by nearly 100 Catholic priests. I'm old enough to remember when that story first broke. I remember reading the articles. But what I didn't know is that the priests preyed on poor kids. 
Why? Well, the movie did a great job of illustrating this. You see, if you're poor, chances are you're not just poor, but you're also the recipient of injustice. Why? Well, no one cares about you. You're voiceless. You're powerless. You have no resources to fight back. Therefore, you're easily manipulated. And no one will believe what you say anyway. Here's part of what the producer of the movie said as he received the Oscar. This film gave a voice to survivors. And this Oscar amplifies the voice, which we hope will become a choir. Interesting word. Will become a choir that will resonate all the way to the Vatican. Pope Francis, it's time to protect the children and restore the faith. Friends, the basic characteristics of the poor of the poor is that because they are poor, they are without a voice, they are without resources, they're without power. And that means they're subject not just to poverty, but to prolific injustice. So the call of the book of Proverbs could not be more timely for us today. Let's be powerful people who speak for and come to the aid of the powerless, not powerful people who prey on the powerless. Why? Because everyone, regardless of race, regardless of socioeconomic status, regardless of language, regardless even of religion, are made in the image of God. Now, a second reason, closely tied to the first, that we should be talking about this today, and even more perhaps important, that when we leave, we ought to do something about, is what we might call the character of God. Proverbs 21, verse 13 says, Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. This sounds like the old childhood fable of the boy who cried wolf. You remember the story? There's a little shepherd kid who, because he wants attention, likes to cry wolf. So the town comes running and there is no wolf. Eventually he does this enough that what happens? No one listens. And so when a real wolf comes, no one comes. Friends, as a general rule, if we hear and understand the cries of the poor and do nothing, that will eventually not just hurt them, it will hurt you. Why? Well, because built into the very fabric of creation is a longing for justice. Our tendency living in a pluralistic, individualistic society is that we think there is no right and wrong. And yet, invariably, when wrong comes to us, we call for justice. Why? Because the character of God is impressed upon that which He has made. We can't help but do that. God is a just God. Friends, in a room this big, this full, 
There are many people who have been the recipients of harm. People who here who have been the recipients of others more powerful than you committing injustice upon you. Part of the message of Easter is that God hears, that God cares. Psalm 146 says, God executes justice for the oppressed, gives food for the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed low. The Lord gives and loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. That is the ultimate end Humanity is racing towards. Perhaps the most stunning verse in this topic is Proverbs 21.3. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Let me put that in our context. It might be that you're here today for Easter and you've never sat in a church building before. Or you have a tendency to come once a year. We would say to you, welcome. We hope you return. And you're welcome here, not just in this building, but into our very lives, into our homes. Christians believe this isn't something we do an hour a week, but it fills every hour of every day. Many of you likely grew up in some religious tradition, perhaps one full of big religious words and elaborate ceremonies. But did you know that God cares more about the quiet piety of a just life than he does all the pomp and circumstance of a religious Sunday morning? To care for the poor and seek justice for the needy is to live out something of the very character of God. At our heart, at the basic, most fundamental level. When we think of Christians, we ought to think of people who do justice for those who can't for themselves. I've been able to witness this firsthand in some dramatic ways, having the joy of working with Christians, being among a body of people seeking to serve Him. Let me tell you one story, show you a few pictures. It's a dramatic one. Years ago, I met a gal named Rita who lived in a border town in Mexico. Here's a picture of her home. She lived literally on the outskirts of the town dump. Flowing just beside this house was the city's sewer system, open air. This is where they bathed and where their water came from. Every day, she made her living by going, and as the truck for the town would raise, trash would flow out, human beings would scamper over the trash that came out, looking for metal or glass that they could sell. Now, the next picture shows Rita's face. Rita was 12 when we met her. She already had a child. Her mom had sold her child. 
And something interesting about Rita was that as a young child, she had been dropped and one of her foot broke. Here's another picture. Her foot broke and grew in such a way that it, it was literally turned 180 degrees. So you didn't know whether she was coming or going. I thought it was funny. <laughs> Next picture will show that up more closely. So from the age of four or so, five, to the age of 13, this is how Rita walked, one foot facing the wrong direction. The church I was in at the time had a medical doctor who saw the pictures and said, we can do something about that. So Rita flew from Mexico to Oklahoma City. She underwent a series of surgeries. Her foot was placed, her leg was placed into a halo with pins that went into the bone. And then for weeks, every hour, it was turned. She cried out. She knew Spanish, but couldn't read or write. She stayed with mostly people who spoke English, and she begged to go home. But this was about a decade ago. Today, Rita is a nurse, RN. She took her GED. She learned how to read and write, not only Spanish, but English. Her, her daughter was found, essentially smuggled over the border. They both have now become citizens of the United States. More importantly, they are citizens of heaven. Rita is now completing a master's and hopes to work for the injustice of those like her who have been through horrid circumstances. How did that happen? If you looked at her today, you would never know. It happened because of the kindness of Christians, who out of the kindness that God showed them, they now showed her. That's what Christians ought to be known for, caring for people, justice and mercy. Justice and mercy have long been defining traits of the people of God because they are defining traits of God. Tertullian in the second century wrote, People say, see how they love one another, speaking of Christians. One in mind and soul, we do not hesitate to share our earthly goods with one another. We have all things in common except our wives. <laughs> now, perhaps you're still thinking, though, this is Easter. Why is he talking about poor, marginalized, powerless well, that brings us to the most important reason, the third and most significant reason why we should care about and fight on behalf of the needy, the poor, the orphan. This reason, of course, is the grace of God. New York Times bestselling author Tim Keller wrote this, the true experience of the grace of Jesus Christ inevitably motivates a man 
or a woman to seek justice in the world. Now, why would he say that? Maybe the connection is not so easy for you to see. Maybe you've met some Christians who didn't live anything like that connection. There was, in fact, a disconnection. Well, he said that because the grace of God comes only through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, which are the greatest acts of justice and mercy the world has ever known. The greatest human injustice brought justice for all who turned to Christ. Or to put that another way, in the context of this particular talk, if you are middle class spiritually, then you cannot know the grace of God. The basic characteristics of physical poverty we talked about earlier, I gave you three, being without a voice, without resources, and without power. Those three things are true of some of us physically, but they're true of all of us spiritually. You see, if we pretend to be middle class spiritually, people who have our needs met, then we'll have no place for God. And God doesn't come to people who have no place for Him. Friends, universally, we are people who have rejected God's rightful rule over our lives in favor of self-rule. What we thought would bring freedom brought what the Bible calls slavery, slavery to sin. And so every single one of us has taken good things and made them ultimate things, only to find that those things we thought would free us have enslaved us and left us voiceless and powerless. We've taken on a spiritual debt that we cannot possibly repay. We have all defaulted on the loan of the grace of God. Scripture says that we are without hope in and of ourselves. But then Easter came. Jesus left heaven, came to earth, History, even secular history, tells us he lived his life in a commendable way. He lived his life perfectly, obeying the Father in everything. And therefore, because of that, he had no spiritual debt. And so he went to the cross to take on the debt that we owe, dying in our place. And then why does the resurrection matter? It matters because it proves that everything he said is true. It proves that death doesn't win. It proves that the sacrifice was acceptable to God. It proves that all who come to him for life can exchange your debt for his life. You see, Jesus entered the poverty of earth so that you could have the riches of heaven. Friends, if you will turn from your sin today and turn to him, then you'll receive in exchange for your spiritual poverty his eternal riches, which is better than anything else the world has to offer. 
In the most famous sermon ever preached, Jesus said this, Matthew 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I wonder if you'd read that with me. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What's the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven is the rule, the power, the reign, the putting back together of God. And that's housed today in people who know they're not middle class spiritually, who know they're poor in spirit. Only the poor in spirit can enjoy the resurrected Jesus. Religion, on the one hand, says, you have incurred a debt, and therefore you must pay it back. So stop the big bad behaviors and do all the externally right things. And if you try hard enough, then at the end of your life, God will tip the scale in your favor. You'll get to heaven. Irreligion, on the other hand, says you have a debt and you can't pay it, so just enjoy life while you can. Both of them come up empty. Neither one of them can give you what Christ can. The message of Christianity is not do what you can for God, God will do the rest. It's not, there is no hope, so just do whatever you want. Rather, it's Christ came and did for you on your behalf what you could not do so that now in him you can have all of God. The gospel says nothing can be done to climb out of spiritual poverty. As AA teaches, you have to come to the point of recognizing you're powerless. Friends, before God, in sin, we all are powerless. So I wonder today, perhaps some of you came here for a loved one or friend. You just couldn't come up with a decent excuse on Easter Sunday. I understand. Or maybe you're here because you know you need to be. Or maybe you're here every week. Have you come to the point of recognizing you are not middle class spiritually? If so, then the greatest gift you could be offered today is Christ holding out life forgiveness, the riches of heaven. If you will humble yourselves in your own words, come to him in prayer. Say, God, I have tried to live my life on my own and it has not worked. And now I want to turn from that life and turn to you. I still have questions, but I believe Jesus came and died and rose again. And I want to spend the rest of my life 
knowing and enjoying Him. Friend, if you will express that in some way, shape, or form to God, then your poverty spiritually will be exchanged for all that Christ is. That's the invitation God sends today. And we gather every Sunday to give that joyful opportunity. So we would encourage you to respond. And if you have questions in just about eight minutes, there'll be people here at the front who would love to visit with you. Or you could talk to a friend sitting around you. And for those of you who have already made that decision, these Proverbs, therefore the voice of God, would ask you today, if people look on your life, do they see a recognition that God has been merciful to you? Therefore, you act on behalf of those without power. It doesn't have to be as dramatic as Rita's story. But do you defend those who cannot defend themselves? That should be a mark of our life as a church. Let's take a moment in quiet prayer and personal reflection consider what God might say to us, then we will stand and sing as a celebration. Would you pray? Father, we recognize that likely no one came this morning expecting to make some decision spiritually. And yet, where your word is shared, it always comes with the expectation that by your power you will speak. And so we pray that, God, what I have said that is of you would come upon each of us in a way that we leave changed, having been encountered by the resurrected Christ. I pray for those who have just confessed sin, returned to you, become Christians, that, God, they would understand that's not a private, personal, individual decision that we enter the kingdom of heaven individually, but then we join in with the people of God. So we pray they'd voice that to someone sitting around them and then begin to take steps to grow. We thank you that you have likely saved this morning. We also pray that you would forgive us. Perhaps there's some here today who have already been saved by you, and yet your redeeming, rescuing acts haven't then continued through us to deliver people from physical harm. 
Father, right here in Tempe, Arizona, within walking distance of this building, are people with tremendous need. And we pray resounding from this room would be a choir of people who are declaring your praises by caring for the temporal needs of people. We praise you that Jesus is alive and well. We thank you that you've exchanged our poverty for your riches. In Jesus' name, amen.